Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. But make no mistake, the skunk at the garden party nonetheless was Gary. So for Gary to get booked before Luke, what am I missing here? What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday! I apologize for my voice. It's from the excitement of me screaming. Guys, we got another great episode coming to you of your welcome. I'm back a little later than I expected from Las Vegas. But don't worry, everybody. Uncle Chael is here, and I'm ready to give you my UFC 296 reaction. Coming up, I'm going to talk about Ian Gary and the best-case scenario for him. Plus, I'll tell you why I can't wait for Sean Strickland versus DDP and a whole lot more. But before we get there, let's discuss the welterweight champion of the world. How difficult is Leon Edwards to deal with? I don't know. Everybody I know that's ever met Leon only has nice things to say. I personally have spoke to Leon one time in my life. He was a complete gentleman. I start and lead with that because I'm not at all saying that he is difficult to deal with, but I am am asking the question, and I have asked this many times, and nobody has answered me, including Leon, including Leon's manager, including Leon's team. Nobody has answered me, which is simply this. When Leon finished the trilogy with Kamara in March of this year, what has taken so long to get him back into the cage? He is owed, per his contract, three fights a year. Now, so you understand, if they offer you a fight and you say no, that's one. That's the way the contract works. I don't have evidence that he was offered one and said no. I don't have that proof. But I do wonder. I do know that after the trilogy, which was a very special event designed for Leon, they took the fight to England. The night of the head kick heard around the world, Dana went to the press conference and said, we're rematching them and we're doing it in England. And he did not have a date. Dana did not have a venue. He went and did these things special for Leon. And it was this wonderful evening I could only imagine. It's what every fighter dreams of. Not only a championship match or a main event, but getting to do it in front of your people. Very special. They brought Colby out. Okay, I'm going back to March, guys. They brought Colby out. Colby weighed in. He was a backup fighter. Press conference that evening. Dana announces Colby is next. So now you've done very good and very nice things for Leon. And now you're making your first ever ask of Leon. And without hesitation, Leon said, no. No, I'm not fighting Colby. In fact, steered directly to Blahal Muhammad. Blahal accepted. And they went down this journey with only Dana saying, no, 
That's not offered and it's not on the table. It's going to be Colby. Next thing you know, we, the audience, are getting promised different dates starting with July 7th, which is International Fight Week. That then gets pushed to Abu Dhabi, October 22nd. That rumor gets pushed to Madison Square Garden, November of this year. And ultimately, the fight comes together with three weeks left in the calendar year. Could you imagine a healthy champion only fighting once? Three, three more weeks, that's what would have happened. Now, guys, I don't have any evidence that this was on Leon. I don't have any information at all. I've asked for it, and nobody's given it to me. And the, the point that I'm attempting to make, when you wonder what's next for Leon, and you know the different pushes and pulls that go on behind the scenes, before you start talking about ranking, you start talking about deserving, before you get into any of that, you do need to know how difficult is Leon. If he's difficult. And we also don't know his numbers, right? We don't know if he's a draw. He does not appear to be. But boy, is he a special talent. And boy, are a lot of people going to come to that bandwagon, right? People like to be behind a winner. You get a guy that's really good and can beat everybody, you just give him enough time, he can be a king. But I'm bringing that to you because if his numbers aren't good and he's hard to deal with, it's not a matter of who you think is next or who the rankings committee says is next. It's not a matter of who's got more finishes. It's a matter of who does the organization feel most confident can beat him. That's who's next. And there's been a lot of things said about Blahal, but they did not confirm his number one contendership. Leon then said, and this one really, really surprised me, guys. Leon said, I do not think that Blahal should be next. I do not think that Blahal should be able to cut the line. What line? I mean, I wish that Leon would have finished that thought. What line? Who, who does Leon feel is in front of Blahal? Because Blahal being next and Blahal being the rightful guy? I heard that from Leon in March of this year. Leon himself said Blahal should be next. And the only thing that Blahal has done since then is beat Gilbert Burns, which is a remarkably difficult fight. By the way, was Sean Brady in there? Did he beat Sean Brady as well? Was that this year, the way time flies? But, but understand my point. If Leon said in March that Blahal's the rightful guy and he's next, and then Blahal went out there and beats killers, which only elevates him, how could he possibly be cutting a line? And I'm only asking the question. I'm hearing that Leon would like to go up to 185 pounds and challenge Sean Strickland. But it could also be Duplessis. It could also be Adesanya. Whoever has the belt at the time, but that's what he would like to do. Now, if you're doing that for marketing, these are very helpful things. But if you're doing that in private talks behind the scenes misunderstanding the business so incredibly that you believe you're one of those guys that gets one of those extremely rare opportunities. I mean, I'm just coming back to how hard is he to work with? If Lahat Mohammed does not get the fight, which is so glaringly obvious, that there is nobody in the organization that is so glaringly obvious for a title fight. Nobody. Duplessis versus Strickland. Sure, let's do it. Where did Duplessis come from? 
Aspinall and Pavlet, sure, let's do it. Where, where did we get that idea? Grasso in the bullet. Yeah, maybe where's Blanchfield? I don't know what we're going to do. We'll get to that later. Like, is, here's Islam, fighter of the year. He has no opponent yet. Like, I'm, I'm just sharing for you. There's nobody that's more obviously a number one contender than Mohammed. But if Mohammed does not get the fight, it's not a commentary on Blal. It's a commentary that Leon isn't drawing and he's very difficult to work with. Just so you understand. Neither of which I'm telling you are the case. I'm telling you, we have evidence. Okay? Circumstantial at best. But to have Bahal there, to have a commitment in place over his win over Gilbert, to have him doing media, to not throw to him when he's sitting in the front row, to start building this fight and going in a specific direction, in fact, doing the opposite, being asked about it directly and not confirming that it's him, are not commentaries on Mohammed. Just so you understand, this is never going to get talked about. Nobody's ever going to bring this to you. You will hear a wildly different story about Rachmanov has finished 17 guys in a row and that has never been done and therefore Rachmanov is the guy. To hell with the rankings. 17 in a row. I mean, you could go even further with Rachmanov. Those 17 fights that he had and 17 wins and 17 finishes, I don't think he's lost a round. If he's lost a round, I haven't seen it. Which would qualify him as one of the most dominant guys. Now you're going to have to go against your own rankings committee and if you could only begin to imagine what a press conference with Leon and Rachmanov looks like, right? So this isn't a play to do anything. This is a desperation play to stop the bleeding. We're going to get our asses kicked. We're going to do this one time. I don't know if we're going to main event, but we're going to do it, and we're going to get the belt back, and we're going to go on from here. Blahal, of course, you're next. Just wait. Next just doesn't mean next for Leon. I'm sharing with you, if that's the direction that we go, it's not because anybody questions who's next. It is glaringly, painfully obvious that Mohammed should be fighting for a title. But we're not there yet. And I don't know when we hear this excellent fighter and this fine, fine young man in Leon talking about going to 85, if that's actually what he does behind the scenes. I don't know if the fight that was announced in March and took nine months to get to the ring. I don't know if that was on him. I don't have that evidence. I'm just suggesting for you if. And if it was on him, and if he is a headache, it could be that his next match is with Rachmanov. Think. I would love to know what you think of Patty the Batty on a personal level. What do you think he's like? Do you think he's a nice guy? Do you think he's brash? What about his peers, right? All anybody is, is a collection of their friends. You want to know who your kid really is when you're not around? Go look at the people he hangs out with. He's a collection of that. So what do you think Patty's friends are like? And I would, I would just be curious to hear those answers. Because somewhere along the way, I was prejudiced towards Patty. And prejudiced to mean I prejudged. Thought I knew him. Brash kid out of England. Sell some tickets. Seems marketable. Regional fighter. Get him on an undercar. Move some tickets. Yeah, what, what are these situations? 
I haven't seen anything out of him that disqualifies him from having potential to be a world champion. This was his worst performance. And he won all three rounds against a former champion. This was Patty's worst performance. And it was a comeback fight. He's been removed for the ring for 13 months. This is his worst performance. And the only thing that you could say is that he got fatigued in the third round, but he pushed through it anyway. I think that it's very interesting. I really do. I met Patty, guys. I met him. First time. I cannot tell you in words how wrong I had it. Oh, by the way, I met his friends. I cannot tell you in words how wrong I had it. Complete gentlemen. All of them. The buddies were gentlemen. Patty was a gentleman. There is no stick. This big stick we keep waiting for from Patty. Oh, this guy's just like Conor McGregor. Oh, he's going to be the next Conor McGregor. Oh, the fight to make is Conor McGregor versus Patty. Imagine those press conferences. Patty doesn't do that stuff. A lot of that is in your imagination. He's a pretty straightforward guy. He doesn't really do much stick. He doesn't do your, your mama's so fat. He doesn't come out with profanity and he doesn't come out with, oh, he's in from the bow ties to the sunglasses. This was his worst performance. Of course it was. Of course it was. He might say it wasn't. His coaches might, oh, no, we look great. No, guys, time out. He can't. He's been out 13 months. He has a hard time making weight. First off, his body looked great. And seeing him on fight week just at a distance and passing him, he had, the, he had his weight managed very well. There was some real signs of a newfound discipline. Then he's got to trade shots with Tony Ferg, who does not mind being hit at all. He did. Then he's got to protect himself. Then he finds somewhere in that, man, it might be better to wrestle this guy. That's probably not going to work considering this guy's a former national champion wrestler and I've never even had a match. And then he found himself on top. And then you get to the third round and there was some real fatigue, real fatigue from Patty. And that shouldn't surprise us. We know how Tony's been training. All cardio, right? But Patty pushed through it. He didn't buckle or wilt. He was tired, sure. And he adjusted his game plan. Get him on the ground. He didn't look to sit up and pass. And he started eating up some clock and doing just enough to keep the referee satisfied. I can't imagine anything else you would expect from him. And Dan Gable, okay? The idea of pushing the pace, and the idea of using fatigue as a weapon, the idea of using conditioning as a weapon in sport came from Dan Gable, period, the end. If you go back that up, you find 1972 and it was Dan Gable. And then he took that to Iowa, took that to the Hawkeyes, built an empire. I got to talk to Dan Gable one time. And Dan Gable told me they used to do wrestling matches different. Right now, there's six minutes for high school. There's seven minutes for college. They're six minutes for international. When Dan Gable did it, they were nine minutes. When Dan was in the Olympics in 1972, it was three three-minute rounds. So now, it doesn't matter how you train. You will never be able to give everything for nine minutes. No human. No human can sprint for nine minutes. You have to pick your spots. And Dan talked about that. The one and only time I spoke to him and interviewed him on my podcast, he told me that. He said, Chael, I knew the importance of conditioning. I knew fatigue makes a coward out of all men. You guys have heard that expression? He coined it. He said, 
But what I had to do is I had to learn how to win a wrestling match. There's more to it than getting him tired. That's helpful. That's a secret. There's more to it. I got to have points. I got to figure out how to do that. Then once I get my points, I got to have enough energy left to protect myself when he comes to get his points back. That was all he said. It was very simple. You got, you got to read it from there. But for Patty to deal with fatigue, then to get a fight to the ground, to control the damage he was doing, yet stay active enough to please the official, knowing that the math is on his side. He knows he's up two rounds. He doesn't even need to win this round. He just needs to not get finished in the round. And I thought he looked very good doing it. I really did. Like, Tony Ferguson is never going to be an easy night. Something just tells me, if you run into Tony Ferguson when he's 60 years old, he'd be a pain in the ass to fight. And a, a larger analysis on Tony is that is a great athlete. And he's got a great body. His body is held up. His tendons, his ligaments, his joints, he's still got his flexibility. There's something very special there. Tony Ferguson is the same age, just to put a perspective for you, Tony Ferguson is the same age as Wonderboy Thompson. Now, when you have a fresh memory in your mind because you just saw them both fight, did they look anything similar? Did they look in within 25 years of each other similar? The only thing Tony's missing, guys, and the reason that it looked the way that it looked, the reason he was having a hard time with range, he's missing his opponent, the reason he doesn't spar. Tony told me personally five years ago, and I have to check a calendar. It feels like it was five years ago. It was 25 minutes after he fought Anthony Pettis at T-Mobile. feels like that was five years ago. Came up to the desk and he shared with me on a commercial break. He said, I don't spar anymore. And I heard Tony say that. I had heard him do that in interviews. But as the time's gone on, no fighter said, I spar Tony. No coach has come out and said, I got my arms around Tony and I'm making him spar more. On a blue moon, you will see some level of footage. Maybe he's playing around with some boxing. And as I watched him out there and as I watched him not knowing his range, just a little bit off, not quite close enough to get that wrestling to work. And then I watched Wonderboy, who's had the same experiences and he's the same age with the same goals and the same dreams who spars four times a week. I'll just share with you, there's, there's a meaningful difference. And Tony's tricky, and Tony tries, and Tony's coming after you. And Tony does have the eye of the tiger. If you want to have a conversation on Tony and what should be next, that's a separate conversation. I'm talking about Patty right now. That's a hard situation to be in. When you have a zombie who won't go away, and when you know about yourself, I can't put him away. He's got an Eddie Bravo black belt. He's got a UFC interim belt. He's got a JC National Wrestling Championship. Like, there's, there's nowhere for me to find this guy. So I'm going to have to grind it out. And like Dan Gable said, regardless of how much better I might be than my opponent, I have to find a way to win a wrestling match. Patty the Batty found a way to win the match. Surprise of the week, and I'd like to know if you guys disagree. Charisma, absolute charisma, to the point of charm by Duplessis. Do you disagree with me? Now, 
were his words okay? Was he being a gentleman? Was that nice to say? Was it okay to say? All different conversations, and most certainly not the ones we're having right now. I'm talking about the pure charisma. He said something very mean to Sean Strickland. And it upset Sean on a personal level. It hurt his feelings. And Duplessis knew that he'd do that, knew that he did that, and said, oh, I believe I have struck a nerve. Did you guys see when he said that? I got to tell you, I've been on a flight. You know, it's one of those things where I'm losing my voice, so I don't have my own charm. I'd love to act it out. I'd love to act as charismatic as Duplessis did, but I watched him. I rebound. I watched him again. There was a real charm there. So then Strickland gets in a dust-up with him, right? We go to the fight. I don't know what Duplessis said to Sean. But Strickland does not behave that way. That's not true. And the commentary team, when they had to address it, referred to Strickland as a psychopath. And it would be very difficult for them to see what they saw and then me to come in and go, no, no, he's not that guy. After he just did that. I'd go, no, no, he would never do that. Well, he just did that, Shale. It's a little bit dark. Okay, fine. Apparently my hypocrisy knows no bounds because he is not a psychopath. I don't know what Duplessis said, but that is not how Sean Strickland behaves. So after the squirmish, and I couldn't see very well, I mean, I couldn't see any better than you guys did, but it looked like about four to six punches by Strickland. And the next thing you see is Duplessis' head popping up with a great big smile. And frankly, he was being very charismatic. That was my one and only point here. It's my one and only point, because, but it is relevant because... We've only seen a weakness by Duplessis one time. He passed up a world title fight. He passed up his biggest paycheck ever because he got scared during an interview. He backed down during a face-off. And it's like anything in life. Sometimes you need a little bit of experience. There's a reason you go in and practice. And I just feel like from the press conference that we saw here or even the way that he handled the post-scuffle, that that exchange with Adesanya and whatever that created, he did go back and think about it, and he did work on it, and he did make himself a deal that next time I will do, and whatever it was, and I feel as though he did it. I mean, I really, I felt that he came across, very handsome guy, very charming, he had nice eyes, and he had this nice smile, even after being punched, I mean, that's a rare thing to do. I will tell you, the only miss is when they escorted Strickland out, Duplessis should have taken Strickland's seat. Should have taken his seat, and he should have instantly taken to Instagram with a video and said, I got your seat, dum-dum. How you enjoying the show outside in the cold? That was the only miss. But I don't expect somebody to be perfect, right? I don't expect these guys to all be chails on it. I am wondering what they learned from that, though. There's a great moment, I won't forget it. Simple as it might have been, but it was Don Fry and Ken Shamrock. And Ken Shamrock was wildly strong. And Don Fry was extremely tough. But, I mean, these were the, the, the two things on these guys. And they had a face-off and they grabbed one another. And Don Fry very calmly afterwards said, I'm glad that that happened. It was kind of like a body lock and a push and a pull. And said, I'm glad that that happened because I have been wanting to feel his strength. I have been worried about his strength. And now I know his strength. And... There's something in fighting called a mask. And Anderson Silva had that mask. 
Mike Tyson had that mask. Fedor Emelianenko had that mask where people were scared and they didn't bring their tools to the ring. Cain Velasquez had that mask. Guys, they, they didn't bring their tools to the ring. They were done in the back, right? They're going to that ring. They're going to fight the first way out that's the least painful. Surreal gone experienced that against John Jones, just for an example, not to give Surreal a continued hard time. But that would be a great example. And while John Jones was able to do that to Surreal one time, Mike Tyson did that to 18 men in a row. Anderson Silva did that to 12 men in a row. Never had to fight their best. Because he had them scared. And there's only a few things in life that can take that mask off. And you can't do it because you get hypnotized on a couch. You can't do it because your coach comes over and tells you, I know this son of a bitch. Don't be scared by him. He's got beady, scary little eyes. He's just like you. It's all an act. It doesn't work. There's only a few things that can get that mask off. But feeling a guy in a scuffle like Sean and Duplessis did is a way to remove the mask. I just don't know in this situation who was wearing it. I don't know. I would have expected Duplessis to be a little bit more hat in the hand. A little more, hey, Mr. Strickland. You went out and did what I refused to do. I couldn't turn around on six weeks, but you did. I couldn't go to Australia and deal with his crowd, but you did. I didn't believe I could go 25 minutes and overcome him, but you did. I expected a little bit more of that out of Duplessis. And we got none of it. So perhaps it isn't Strickland wearing the mask. What about Duplessis? I mean, this is a guy who fought one time this entire year. Oh, by the way, ESPN just did a list for fighter of the year. There was four options. He was on it. That one performance got him nominated and put into the top four on ESPN for fighter of the year. And I can't disagree with it. What he did out there with Rob Whitaker, nobody's whipped Rob Whitaker's ass. Rob Whitaker's had his ass whipped twice in his life. Opposite Adesanya, part one, and against Duplessis. That's it. Whitaker got back in there with Adesanya. Boy, he closed that gap. I mean, Rob Whitaker is a fantastic fighter. That's why... Duplessis made the list. Maybe he's wearing the mask. Either way, the mask is off. DraftKings sees this as a two-to-one spread favoring Duplessis. Maybe Strickland. Maybe the stone-cold badass that walked right into Australia and had to take on the monster himself. Maybe he was a little apprehensive, but I guarantee you he's not now. It's exactly what Don Fry said. That's true. I felt his strength. I was worried about it. I wanted to know, but now I do know. And the great fights that you guys have ever seen, and you've only seen this a few times, the great fights are when both guys think they're going to win. I know every fight you're told that, and every fight you're promised that, and most fights you believe it to be true. It's not. It's kind of like the rear naked choke. It really doesn't work all that well. It works when a guy lets you have it. Like all submissions. You don't go take or set up or find a submission. That's not true. Get your opponent to change his spirit 
and allow you to have a submission. I'm just bringing it to you because when you have two guys that really think they're going to win, that's when you have a great fight. And from everything that I've seen, and now that I know the mask is off, it would seem as though Duplessis and Strickland is headed for great fight status. I have talked to you guys about online data privacy before. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect your online privacy. I'm on the road a lot, and I often have to connect to hotel and airport internet, but I don't do it without connecting to a VPN, a virtual private network. One of the many benefits of using a VPN is to secure your connection on public Wi-Fi so you can browse in full privacy. Hackers have many methods to steal your data on public hotspots, but with a VPN, your online traffic is invisible to them. Also, government agencies, marketers, and internet service providers all love to track and collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. This is not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. The best way to hide your data while online is using NordVPN. I believe privacy is a fundamental right and NordVPN helps to protect that right along with your data. As we head into the holiday season, avoid targeted pricing, fake websites, and bait and switch attacks with a VPN. Shop securely. Knowing your credit card details will be safe from snoopers even on public networks. Grab NordVPN's exclusive deal now at nordvpn.com slash chailsunnan and get extra subscription time. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash chailsunnan. That's nordvpn.com slash chailsunnan. Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring our show. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but you didn't feel like you had the time or even the energy to invest? Maybe you took some classes in high school or college, but you haven't practiced in years. Or maybe you just want to impress your girlfriend's parents by learning their native language. Rosetta Stone has you covered. They have been the expert in language learning for 30 years and have been used by millions of people. You can download the app onto your phone or your tablet so you can learn on the go. I know many of you did not have the time to take a class or read through a book. Rosetta Stone has made learning convenient and effective through their immersive learning approach. What do I mean by immersive? Well, it's the same thing as if you watch MMA fights on TV, but you never get into the gym. Getting into the gym and taking kickboxing or jiu-jitsu classes helps you to understand the sport and become one with it. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer or language learning. You can take Rosetta Stone with you onto the treadmill in your daily commute or even start the day while you're getting ready for work with just 10 minutes a lesson. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. 
That's all you have to do. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Gary Neal appears to be back on. You know what? There was nobody. And guys, I just got home. You can hear it in my voice. I mean, I just got home from Vegas. I've been cheering. I've been screaming. I've been having a great time. And I, but I, I got to tell you, I spent an entire week in Las Vegas. Entire week around UFC 296. From the media to the weigh-in to the fight itself to the post-fight to the fans. Ian Gary was the talk of the town. There was no conversations Talked about more than Ian Garrett. I went and did Fighters Only, World MMA Awards. And one thing about that is they have a red carpet, and it's very cool. And you go from place to place. You get to get dressed up, right? It's fun. It's a very special thing. I did five interviews that night. Now, the ultimate prize is Fighter of the Year, whether you wanted to do that for male or female. The only award show that I used to follow, I follow none of them now, but I used to follow the Country Music Awards back when they were making country music. They quit in 1992. But when they were actually making country, I would watch that, and there was one award that mattered, and it was called the Entertainer of the Year. And that, Entertainer of the Year, being the big one, would be the equivalent to Fighter of the Year, whether it was male or female. When I did the red carpet in five interviews, I was not asked who I thought would be Fighter of the Year a single time. I was not asked how this came about. I was not asked what channel it would be on and when it would air. But all five interviews, I was asked about Ian Gary. And I just offer you that so that you understand it was a very big deal. Oh, and by the way, it didn't end because Dana wisely booked and announced Ian Gary's next fight. It's going to be in March. I think March 8th. Don't hold me to that. And Ian Gary is going to be opposite Jeff Neal. Now, it's very wise to do. It was a very helpful thing to do for Gary. Because now you have something else to talk about. That's important that you understand. So, Jeff Neal was scheduled to take on Gary. And to put in perspective for you, on an undercard the night that Sugar Sean became champion over Aljo Sterling. They were booked for that date. It was in Boston. The fight didn't happen. And just prior to the fight not happening, Ian Gary had gone online and he found a mugshot of a night that Jeff Neal was arrested for DUI. And he took the face from the mugshot, he put it on a t-shirt, and he sold it on his Instagram. And this enraged Jeff Neal. Now, I personally wanted to see the fight because Jeff Neal is, he's good. Jeff Neal's a problem for anybody. 
He's just a real athletic wonder. He's a very good fighter, but he's also just very athletic. He can do things other people can't do. He was born with some very good skills in terms of DNA. So was Ian Gary. Ian Gary is very athletic. So I wanted to see this fight. And when that picture came out on the t-shirt, Neil lost his mind from what I'm told. But it, it made him very upset. And he thought that was off limits. He thought you should not have done that. You should not be able to do that. We are sportsmen. That was an embarrassing, and I dealt with it. And for you to bring it back, I mean, this was just Neil's standpoint, which is very fair. But it's important that you do know that story so that when people then go and do this to Gary, say, hey, you started this. You did a very cruel thing. It was, it was cruel what he did, Gary, to Neil Magny. It was mean-spirited what he did to, to Neil. I, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I don't have a problem with a little meat spiritus. I'm just sharing with you. If this is the code that we're going to live by when it comes back on you, it's fair play. So remaking this fight, I think, does add a level of excitement. But I don't fully know why we lost it in the first place. A lot of people said, I am not co-signing this. I don't, because I don't know that I believe it. But a lot of people said that Gary was so into Neil's head because of this picture that that's why Neil pulled out. So... I think we have something special to look forward to there. I think we have two guys that are going to go out, give us some fun buildup, and that's a, a colossally challenging match to try to handicap. First thing that I would like to know is where is Ian Gary going to train? I don't know where he has been training, and I've asked it a million times. Is he going to go back to Stanford? Is he going to be locked in? I, they call themselves Kill, Kill, Kill Cliff Bars uh, now. Is he going to go back there? That would be a really good sign. Get back there, get started right after the new year, get a, a few good months in. And the other thought that I had when I saw that fight announced, the reason Gary didn't fight Luke was because of Gary. We give a guy a pass, we understand. You get sick, you get injured, we understand those things. But make no mistake, the skunk at the garden party, nonetheless, was Gary. So for Gary... To get booked before Luke, eh? what am I missing here? I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting situation. I remember when Islam beat Volk. It was a huge fight. Dana revealed it was a top five pay-per-view of all time. We don't know where it went. Did it go number one, number three? number? We, we just know it was in the top five. Islam comes out on top. He can't get a match. But Volk gets a paycheck four months later. I mean, it was one of these interesting situations. So... Did something happen with Luke that we don't know about? I mean, did something happen? The way the story was told to me, Luke was willing to fight, thought he found himself an opponent in Kevin Holland, had even worked out an agreement publicly for what weight they would compete at, and that match ended up not coming through. So... Is there more to it? Is there something more that I miss? And now when we're armed with the fact that Mohammed is not being held for a guaranteed number one contender, and he was there and he was on the card, could have put them together, had an actual trilogy fight. Are you guys aware of that? They fought twice and they've split. And none of those things happened. So were those things offered? Were those things discussed? Were other things offered and other things discussed? I mean, the, the quickest way to find yourself with how to fight in the UFC is to be offered a fight and say no to the fight. That will get you put 
to the back of the line. But did those things happen? I was never told that they happened. I never saw them happen. There's a rumor today that has now come out that Luque was given multiple uh, opponent offers and said no to them all. I don't know their names. Nobody's come out publicly and said I was one of them. And I don't know very many guys that would fall into a category of a save-the-day fighter opposite Luque that could have made weight and been licensed and gotten to Vegas on that short of notice. I don't know how much I would believe that. So it's it's one of those things. It's one of those it's one of those interesting questions of what what did happen there. Why would the guy that screwed this up be booked? Right? I mean, you gotta understand a booking, it's a really big deal. It's a colossally big this is how you get paid. So the guy that did everything right isn't gonna get a check, but the guy that didn't do everything is going to get a check, right? I mean it's it's one of these situations that when you find out what actually happened, it all makes sense. Like there's never a conspiracy and there's never anything weird and there's never anything unethical or unreasonable. Never. When you find out what happened, but we seldomly do. So if you're a 170 pounder and you are offered Luke A, please raise your hand and whatever caveat there was, please disclose it. Did you say, I'll fight him, but it has to be at 180? I can fight him at 178. Did you change it? Because whoever accepted the fight and was going to get there and was such a professional that their weight was in striking distance of 170 deserves credit. I'd love to give it to you. I'm told you exist. I'm told three of you exist. Show yourself. Islam Makhlchev has made his voice heard. Islam said, I want to go to 170. And guys leaving divisions, I mean, right, like this is a hard and fast policy within Dana. It's not a rule. And you'll find examples and you'll find times that we got away from it. But Dana doesn't like the idea of guys leaving divisions. The thing that you must understand with Islam is for sure, not maybe, he's going to be a 170 pounder. So if you view this as a problem, it's a problem you're going to have to deal with at some point. And when Islam goes to 170, he will stay at 170. He is not going to return to 155 pounds. I mean, I'm just sharing with you, and you all can relate to this. Are you smaller now than you were three years ago? And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if I got an 80-year-old listening to me, an 18-year-old listening to me. It doesn't make a bit of difference. Are you smaller now as a human being than you were three years ago? Of course not. Making 155 is a tremendous sacrifice. It's a tremendous struggle. That is where opportunity was. And more than anything, it also clung to the idea of taking over the throne for your mentor and friend, King Khabib. But it is important that you understand Islam's not here to rock the boat. Islam's a big guy. That's a reality. And what Islam is getting asked to do is what nobody wants to do. But Islam is a competitor, and he has honor, and he lives by a code. One piece of that code to pay homage to this Nurmagomedov and to the late Nurmagomedov is that you fight who you're asked to fight. You don't say no if you're a true champion. 
And he won't. He won't say no when he's asked. But what he is being asked is what no fighter wants to do, which is to do the same thing twice. Fighters don't like rematches. Why would they? Why would I take that risk? Why would I go through this? It doesn't matter what the story was. It doesn't matter if you beat me up for 20 minutes and I, I won five seconds, but it was a submission and I won. Whew, sometimes you get lucky. The guy's in the rear view. And I'm sharing for you, Islam's being asked to do matches that did not have that caveat. There were not matches that were, whoo. He fought Charles for seven and a half minutes and they fought everywhere. They fought on their feet. They fought up against the fence. They fought on the ground. They used conditioning, strength, heart, grit. Everything got tested. They used their hands. They used their feet. There was nowhere in that seven and a half minutes that Oliver won. Like It wasn't a matter of, well, he was touching him on his feet, but Islam got in tight, got to the body, and drug him down. If he could just keep that distance and range, what's the difference? Keep him at distance and range the whole time. Islam beat him there too. Start on the mat completely dry in a submission of your choice. Refs say go. Islam will get out and beat you up. I mean, that, that's what it looked like. And that's what the odds makers saw. Their first fight was a three to one. It went into three to one on DraftKings. Right now, action on that fight is four to one. There was nothing about it that a reasonable person could say, well, if you just gave him one more shot. Islam doesn't want to fight Charles. He's made that clear. Now, he doesn't want to fight him because it's a rematch and he would like some fresh blood. Charles does not want to fight Islam because he's a four-to-one dog and he agrees with it if he was betting. I mean, it's really relevant that you understand this. So if that fight happens, right, this entire year, some people say that Islam was the fighter of the year for 2023. People say that. He fought twice. He's owed three fights. He fought twice. And it was the same guy. So now as you go into 24, is he only going to get two fights there as well? And one of them's got to be against Charles, who doesn't want to fight him and who he doesn't want to fight and who none of us believe we don't know the outcome. Now, it doesn't matter what side you get on that. And I hear from many of you that I'm saying bad things about Charles. I'm, I'm not in the least. I'm telling you the story exactly the way the story happened. Exactly. But it's important that you do know that timeline. Because Islam has now come out and said, I would like to fight at 170. But he went further with it. He said, I gave Volkanovsky a chance. Not once, but twice. I gave him a chance. Twice. It was my entire 2023. All I would like is the same thing that I've already done. I would now like that done for me. I'd like to go up to 170. That's very reasonable. It's a very, very reasonable thing to do. And... Islam versus Leon, I don't, I don't make believe for you that that's some kind of an incredible fight that we're all dying to see, but I will, I will tell you as clearly as I know how to speak, you could take the greatest venue that the UFC played, Madison Square Garden, and you could put Islam in a title defense, because he will be champion, against Rachmanov. And now all of a sudden, you do have an incredible business reason for allowing him to go up. If you're not going to give Blahal the fight, that's going to be a tough story to tell. It's going to be a very tough story. Now, in this sport, we fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot. 
But if we're going to take it from Lahal to give it to a guy that's ranked lower, which would be Rachmanov, or we're going to allow a reigning champion to move up, if your number one goal is to just get the belt off the guy that has it, it would seem a very safe bet would be Islam. And I'm not predicting for you guys this is where it's going to go. I'm just trying to speak if we're being rational. Leon would like to go to 185 pounds, but he doesn't have an opponent. He's made that clear. He'll go fight Strickland. His dream fight is Adesanya. Duplices comes out on top. I guess we'll have that talk. That's not captivating. To watch him try to win a championship is not captivating. It has to be a specific opponent. But if he would like to go up and he would like to be given and afforded that opportunity, he cannot say no to a guy who's trying to do the same thing. That would be impossible from a negotiating standpoint, if you're reasonable. The very thing you're asking to do, somebody else asked to do, and they allowed you. You could not reject that. And when Islam says, I did it, I did it twice. Now I would like, it's an interesting proposition. Particularly when you juxtapose that, you must understand, right? My entire thesis and premise here, I wouldn't have even opened my mouth and posted this piece had it not been the fact Islam is going to be a welterweight, for sure. So you're going to have to deal with that at some point. Do you feel it better for him to get beat? So now we got to wait 10 years. I mean, is that is that what you feel better? And then we slide him up and he's just one of the guys? Or do you feel it better to slide him up right now, have a champion versus champion scenario, setting up a potential match down the road with Rachmanov? It's a very intriguing proposition it's not if you look at the checkers play what's next isn't that intriguing but islam versus charles look somebody with influence and somebody with power is not letting that idea go but that idea and the desire for islam versus charles is sure as hell not coming from all of you all right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, everybody, I want to hear from you. If you'd like to talk to me, just go leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or make a comment over on my Spotify episodes. Guys, I got so much more UFC 296 reaction. I'm going to be back to give it to you on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Welcome.